Yeah, is that cool? Is that okay, is that okay if um, could someone just close that door? Is that okay? Thanks, love. And thank you, my dear. Uh, is that okay if during the sermon, obviously people need to go in and out uh, stuff. If we could just use the back door, is that okay? That would just help with um, locking in and focusing on on the message. Are you happy for me to start, guys? Or yep. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you're the one who caused um, creation by speaking and you've made us in your image so that in one sense, as we speak, life might come. And so I pray that life would come through the spoken word today, through your word being spoken, that you would bring life and order, life where there's death and order where there's disorder. Pray, Lord, that... Um, Things will be accomplished during our time together now that you would look on and say, that's good, as you did on the day of creation. That's very good. We pray for some really amazing things to happen through this message. Let faith be lifted and strong and help us to be engaged in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope you're enjoying this series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I, yeah, I really hope so because we're going to be with it till about December. So, uh, uh, you know, if you're not, then just get used to it. Um, and pray to the Lord that you would start to like it. Um, it's probably a love-hate job, isn't it? I think the Sermon on the Mount for me is love-hate, to be honest. Sometimes I am too afraid to read it, um, genuinely. Uh, and yet I would say it's probably um, they're some of the most kind of penetrating and um, profound moments in the Bible I've had have been in this sermon. So it's one of those ones where you're like... You know, you just, you're trembling, but you trust, you know God is good, and he's got good things to say. We're going through the Beatitudes at the moment, and um, I think this Beatitude today probably shows, maybe most clearly, shows up most clearly what this sermon is and isn't about. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, um, they're having fun today, aren't they? Wow. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, I'll read to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I'll read that again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, what does Jesus mean at this point? What is he saying here? Because the Western world is increasingly aware of the fact that, um, well, it's increasingly aware of something that the rest of the world has been aware of for decades, if not centuries, that the world's not a fair place. There's a lot of inequality, there's a lot of injustice, there's a lot of oppression, there's a lot of things that go on that are downright unfair, and that if you were on the receiving end of it, you'd be devastated. The Western world's increasingly uh, aware of its role, even in environmental changes, even in epidemics, and... Um, and I think the, the, uh, the, the voices of um, desperation um, that have been crying out for a long time are finally reaching the ears of those in the more affluent parts of the world, those in the UK, those in the USA, those in uh, Europe and other nations like that. And uh, what we see is things like comic relief, increasingly popular, um, increasingly amazing in what it does, um, I don't know if you followed it this year, but some of the things, you've got celebrities walking through the desert for days to raise money um, for some of the most poor parts of the world. And incredible and uh, uh, applaudable things 
are happening to try to set things right, to try to change uh, the imbalance and try to uh, um, try and relieve the suffering. And um, the question I want to ask is, is Jesus talking about that? When Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, is that what he's talking about? Is this the heart of it, for example, to raise money for AIDS orphans? Well, it had better include that, but it's a whole lot more than that. I mean, it had better include that sort of thing, but at its heart, I want to say it's something fundamentally different from that, though it includes that. And I want us to grasp what does Jesus mean when he uses these words. Hunger and thirst. Strong words. Very, very strong words. As we've looked at these Beatitudes, we've uh, we've been saying this, that they are the qualities of the Christian. These, this, this describes the true Christian. It's almost a bit of a, a, a test, if you like, to hold up against yourself, almost a bit of a mirror. Is this me? Or at least is there something in here that looks a bit like me? Um, can I recognise myself in this? So we see this poor in spirit, which we've looked at, this utter bankruptcy. It's just this awareness. I've got nothing to bring to the table to get right with God. There's nothing I can do to kind of make it. There's nothing I can bring, no amount of meditation, no amount of just kind of emptying myself and being still, no amount of good deeds, no amount of church going can actually help me one iota in my standing before God. When you're poor in spirit, you, you realise it. You realise it at conversion. In fact, if you want to become a Christian, the heart of it is realising, I can't do it. Oh, I need a saviour. But not only does it happen at conversion, it's the rhythm of the Christian life. You just lean into Jesus. Yeah? You've, you realise, I can't do it. And you lean into him. And then blessed are those who mourn. When your heart starts breaking over the things that break God's heart. Even those things that, that you do yourself, and you think, I can't believe I just did that. And your heart breaks. You, you mourn over your sin. You mourn over the sin of the world. What is that? What's going on there? Is, you, is that you've got God's heart. You've been born again. The, the, the spirit of God the, uh, it now indwells you. And those things that make him weep and make him mourn, make you mourn. You see, that's what's happening there. But it's not just at conversion, though it should be at conversion, but it's throughout life. And then blessed are the meek, we looked at last week, where you actually realise that you're not the centre of the universe. Wow, what a revelation. It's not all about me. Whoa, that's, a big, that's big news, isn't it, in the West? I'm spending my whole life being told I'm worth it and all of that, and it's all about me, and it's my brain cross, it's my everything, and suddenly I realise it's not, it's not about me. There's someone else it's all about, and actually... Where I've been orbiting around me all these years, I get to orbit around him. And I learn genuine meekness, which is like if I get slighted or spoken against or insulted or misunderstood, it's not the end of the world. I, I, I can get over it by the grace of God. Why? Because meekness, something's happened to me. I've realised it's not all about me. I get corrected, I want to be quick to apologise. Someone comes and speaks, I want to be quick to listen. What is it? It's meekness. It's the Spirit of God has done something in me. Different. Whereas before, my instinct would be to be prickly and defensive. There's, there's a different desire. I'm still tempted to do that, but there's this new desire, wanting to just listen and yield and submit. What is that? You've been born again. But then we have this. This is staggering. Hunger and thirst. You know that to hunger and thirst is very distracting. 
Have you ever tried to do some work when you've been hungry and there's been a fridge in the room? Have you ever tried that? I wonder what's in there. I wonder what things I could put together. And then you accidentally start typing eggs and stuff. Oh, it's not about food. And, you know, you're distracted. Why? Because your stomach's making the crazy noises, you know. And you start dreaming. Hunger is distracting, even more so thirst. Even more so. Even in bed, and you woke up at four in the morning, and you've got that dry throat. And everything in you says, I can't get out of bed. It's just got to that moment where the mattress has become the same shape as me. And there's that warm patch. And I'm just here, and I don't want to move, and it's cold out there. And, but I'm going to get that drink. And then you fall asleep, and you have a dream that you've actually gone downstairs, and, you, do you have that? and you've done it. And you're just about to put the cup to your lips, and you wake up, oh, I haven't. And it's distracting, because you're just trying to get back to sleep. I can't, I need, hunger and thirst are distracting. Not only that, they're dominating. When you're hungry and thirsty, it dominates. Let's just sort that out, then I can do what I've got to do. Yeah? Let's just make the sandwich, eat the sandwich, then we can do what we've got to do. It's dominating. It come, that's how it works. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness. The spirit-filled person will be distracted and dominated by an appetite to see everything that is wrong, unjust, oppressive, violent and abusive put right. It will distract them. Like the person working with the fridge in the room, their, their mind will go to it. Well, what about that? What about what I just heard on the news? And sometimes you can find your heart is heavy. What is it about? And you heard something two hours before. And it's dominant. It's, it's in you. What is that? It's, something's got to be done. And it can be seen as a negative thing. I can't get it out of my head. Well, actually, maybe we need to rethink it. Jesus is saying, no, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's an intensity in that, isn't there? In those words. You feel it. You feel it keenly. The point I want to make is this. It starts a lot closer than AIDS orphans in sub-Saharan Africa. It starts in there. It's about your heart being changed by God. It's more than just running a marathon to raise money for a good cause. It's more than that, which would come out of a good desire. I'm speaking about something completely different. It is a heart that pounds to a new rhythm, and the new rhythm is this, Maranatha. Maranatha. It's a Greek word that means, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart afresh today, Lord Jesus. Come into my community today, Lord Jesus. Come into my city today, Lord Jesus. Come into my nation today, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, Maranatha. It's a new heart. It's what it beats with. That's what it longs and desires for. Come, Lord Jesus. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, we'll look at this in a few months' time, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The, the Gentiles are running around worrying about clothes, what they're going to get, how it's going to look, and food, when they're going to get the next thing. He says, listen, be distracted and dominated by his kingdom and by his righteousness. Now, it's really important that you see those two things together. His kingdom 
and his righteousness, because there's a very important insight there. It's the same as in Romans 1.18, when Paul describing the state of humanity, he says it's about our ungodliness and unrighteousness. Those two things together, kingdom, righteousness, ungodliness, unrighteousness, those two things together and in that order are very important biblically. Because the whole idea is this, get the king back on the throne, now let's put what's wrong right. Not just, let's try and help out. Let's just get, let's get some money over there. Let's try and help here. Let's relieve that. Good things. Good things. But, G, but what Jesus is saying here is he's about something much more profound, much more impacting. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, the world doesn't like that stuff. It wants the righteousness. It, wants, yeah, it likes the idea of let's bring relief there. Let's drop the debt there. All really important things. But this whole talk about godliness doesn't like it. But here's the thing. The injustice in the world is actually rooted in the injustice that we spurn the creator. That's unjust. That there might be a God who made all things for himself and for his glory and that he is constantly blasphemed, ignored, insulted, spoken against. That's unjust. That is injustice of the highest order. And the injustices in the world, every one of them, you can root back to that. Every one of them starts there. The oppression of others in this world, do you know what it's rooted in? The suppression of the truth. That we push down what is made clear in creation, that there is a God and that he is awesome. We push it down. Out of that springs all kinds of other, pushing down of others and oppressing. The darkness in, in the world is sourced in the fact that we hate the God who is light. So we hate the symptoms of our sickness. We hate the injustice and these things. And why is the world like this? And it's just like a hell on earth. And people saying, well, we hate the symptoms of the sickness, but we still love the sickness, sin. So we want, let's change it. Let's change the way it is. But actually don't really change it. Yeah? Let's change some things, but don't really change it. Because I like my autonomy. I like doing my thing. I like that it's my life. I like that. I don't like this. Like God on the throne. Don't really like that. No. You see how it works? But it's, it, this, is, this, is, this, is, this explains a lot of why what happens that doesn't work, doesn't work. We need heart surgery. That old stony heart taken out, that new soft one put in that beats to a different rhythm. We must receive Christ. We must receive the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the revolution begins. New heart out of that, speaks different things, lives different things. People, wherever they are, begin. There's a different aroma. We'll look at this as we go on. It's going to be very exciting. You see, because you place someone with a new heart that beats Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. You place them into a world that is corrupt, unjust, unfair, oppressive, prejudiced, discriminatory, abusive. You get someone who groans, first of all. There's a groaning that happens. Paul talks about it. He talks about it in uh, uh, Romans 8.23. He says, those of us who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan within ourselves for, the, for our final adoption when our bodies are redeemed. So there's a groaning within yourself where you long for your body that, it will, that, that will match and fit your spirit that has been recreated in righteousness and holiness. Yeah? There's a groaning, oh God, when? That's Christian. Do you know that groaning? That is Christian experience. Lord, I long for what this mortality to be clothed in immortality. I long for, for to, uh, to have that glorified body which can fully express all you're doing in my heart. 
That's the first kind of groaning. Then there's a second kind of groaning where you groan for your church. You groan for your brothers and your sisters. Paul says in Galatians 4.19, I am in labour pains until Christ is formed in you. I long to see you come to maturity. I long to see you grow out of immature ways, being blown around by this, that and the other, double-mindedness and all that stuff. I long to see Christ fully formed in you where you look like Jesus. We should be groaning for one another, carrying one another. You're in pain, I'm in pain. You're not through on that, I feel it. I feel it. I think about it. I think about you lot. Maybe it's different being an elder, I don't know. But I, don't, I think biblically you look at it, it's just a body thing. It's just a body thing. I don't, you know, I'm sure there's some differences, but I think in the main it's just a body thing. We're in the same body. We feel it. You're, you're struggling. I feel your struggle. I do. I do. Sometimes I have a heavy heart. I think, what is that? Now? Oh, yeah, that happened to them. We groan for it. I want to see you come. I want to see all that God's got for you. I want to see you walking in it. I want to see you through a dark season. It's what it is. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then we groan because of life. You walk the streets and the things you see. When you see the crackheads walking past you, broken and ruined, and they're 20 going on 70. And you think, God, God. When you see broken lives, we're told in 2 Peter 2 verse 5 that righteous Lot's soul was tormented by living in Sodom. By what he saw and what went on. His righteous soul was tormented. He's a man who groaned. That's what it's the hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now there's three kinds of righteousness I want to talk about today. The first is getting right with God. The gift of righteousness. This is wonderful. The believer is unique from, a, from any other believer in any other faith or religion because as Christians we receive our righteousness from God as a gift through Christ. Hey? We believe in Christ and God gifts us with righteousness. He makes us right in the moment. So it's a gift of grace. It's not something that you earn. It's not something that you, if I do that then God might accept me. God says, welcome, because you're in Christ. God, God declares you righteous. The Bible says God justifies you. God justifies the ungodly. So you come to Christ in an ungodly state. In the moment you receive Christ, God declares you righteous. God declares you justified. And so it's no good as a believer coming in with you, just feeling like, you know, oh, well, God won't accept me. Because every time you come in with that mentality, you are insulting the work of Christ on your behalf. You're basically just moving the cross out of the way and you're saying, God, I'm still going to come into your presence, but you know, it's going to kind of be on the grounds of how badly I've been doing. The whole time God's saying, you mustn't come into my presence whether you're doing well or doing badly on your own righteousness, you come in on Christ. Because he's got perfect righteousness and only he has access. Through him we have access. So you come in and yes, yes, it's right to mourn your sin. But when you come to the Father, your first thought, thought shouldn't be your sin, but Jesus, the high priest, who prays for you, intercedes for you, whose blood was shed for you, so you can be welcomed in the presence of God. This is the first righteousness that we long for in ourselves and in others, to be reconciled, to God and be gifted with righteousness. Then there is what I would describe moral righteousness. So something happens when, that, when you're born again, that new heart goes in, you know what? You can't do that stuff you used to do happily anymore. You can still do it, but not happily. So I was thinking things like fiddling your taxes. See, people often fiddle their taxes, just little things here. Well, I won't claim that and I won't mention that. And, and kind of it's justified in the sense, well, everyone does it or, well, you know, the government's corrupt anyway or whatever. But you see, when you're born again, you can't do that with a clear conscience, you see. 
you can't do that happily. It's, it's, not, it's part of the old. It's part of what? It's dark. Or things like fare dodging. So you get on a train and, and the station's shut. You couldn't get a ticket, so you get on it. And when you arrive at your destination, what do you do? You think, well, that was a result. Um, no, it wasn't a result. Uh, um, the companies, basically the way they run is through the money that we pay for our tickets to keep the trains running. So you need to go to a machine and you get your ticket. Well, no one's even looking, though. That's right. It's got to be upright. See? It's not about who's looking and who knows. It's about I'm living before God now. These things are important. These things are really important. It's not a little, oh, God sorted me out there. No, he didn't. The station was shut. God didn't sort you out there, okay? <laughs> the station was shut. Now go and get a ticket. I'm buying the ticket after the journey's finished. Yeah. Now go and do it. Why? Because that's the laws of the land. But these companies are making millions. That's the, they will stand before God and answer for that. You're not getting your ticket as you're pronouncing a judgment on them. No. Or, keeping too much change. Someone gives you too much change in the shop. Thanks, Lord. No. No. That wasn't the Lord. They gave you too much change by mistake. So you need to give it to them back. Partiality. Treating people according to how they look. It's just the way of the world, isn't it? Oh, they're pretty. I'll be nice to them. Oh, they look like they look cool. I'll try and hang out with them. It's just it's just it's the old. It's dark. It's horrible. It's really horrible. No, we don't do that now. We think differently now. It's not like that anymore. See, we get changed by this Jesus who comes. It's all different now. Slandering, complaining, all these things. See, at the end of this. Well, in a few verses time, Jesus says, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they did a load of good works. Jesus said, no, it's in the heart. It's in the heart. Hell King Jesus. <laughs> it's in the heart. It's in the heart. And then there's this third one, which is social righteousness. Let me read John Stott to you. It would be a mistake to suppose, however, that the biblical word righteousness means only a right relationship with God on the one hand and a moral righteousness of character and conduct on the other. For biblical righteousness is more than a private and personal affair. It includes social righteousness as well. And social righteousness, as we learn from the law and the prophets, is concerned with seeking man's liberation from oppression, together with the promotion of civil rights, justice in the law courts, integrity in business dealings, and honour in home, in home and family affairs. Thus, Christians are committed to hunger for righteousness in the whole human community as something pleasing to a righteous God. Martin Luther, the command to you is not to crawl into a corner or into the desert, but to run out, if that's where you've been, and to offer your hands and your feet and your whole body and to wager everything you have and can do. A hunger and thirst for righteousness that can never be curbed or stopped or sated, one that looks for nothing and cares for nothing except the accomplishments and maintenance of the right despising everything that hinders this end. If you cannot make the world completely pious, then do what you can. Forceful stuff. Actually carrying the world in your heart and saying, do you know what, part of me getting saved and liberated just from self is I'm going to actually, I'm going to do what I was originally called to do as, as, as a, someone made in the image of God and that is exercise some dominion over creation. Actually walk in authority and actually care about the place where I live and the people around me? How can you accomplish that? 
Where do you start? Well, it does start in the heart, but then it issues out into everyday life, fair dodging and stuff, but then it must go into the corporate life of the church. What is God's plan to establish his kingdom on the earth? The church. That's the plan. How does, how does God begin to work out his lordship in these areas and the wrongs being put right? It's through the church. That's, what it's, that's God's plan. The New Testament knows no other plan, no other idea. So Cap, listen, if you have been asked by Nicola to go on a Cap visit, let me urge you, make time in the diary to do it. It is a privilege and an honour to be able to go and bring the light of Christ, the aroma of Jesus into a home that has been crippled by debt and bring good news and relief. If she says to you, can you come on a visit with me? Find a way of getting there in your diary. Find a way, because it's an honour. I'm looking forward. I've got my first visit on the 2nd of June. I'm looking forward to, to just going along there and, and engaging and doing what I can. But it's a huge honour for us, where in our nation we are crippled by debt. The average UK credit card uh, bill in a household is five grand. The average home. People kill themselves because of debt. Families break up because of debt. People get into crime because of debt and end up in prison. God has given us an amazing way through with this thing. It's incredible. And I, wanna, I, wanna, I want that to get into your heart. Even if it becomes a gospel community, don't just think, well, that's what they're doing. No, it's what we're doing. It's what we're doing. And it's massive. It, it's just beginning, but it's massive. The homeless run. It's huge what those guys do. That team, when they go there, it's not just sandwiches, it's friendship. And it's not friendship built around dysfunction and alcohol. It's just built around the love of God. So it's incredible. What, what an honour as a church to have established a homeless run and be building friendships there. It's incredible. Remember the least of these, Jesus said. Remember the least of these. The Torstens. You know the Torstens are in the process of adopting hopefully two Russian orphans. It's an incredible act of the kingdom. It comes out of a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Where Fiona's been out there, she's seen the institution. She's seen how the orphans get treated. You don't want to know the statistics. Well, you probably need to. We're hopefully going to get them on their feet real soon. Just give them 10 or 15 minutes to talk through the plan. It's incredible. What these, what Torsten and Fiona have, have decided to do is they've made a decision. Okay, no more natural children because God's put in our heart to adopt and we're going to do this. And the, the, the battles, the bureaucracy, the sheer gutsiness of what they're doing is incredible. <laughs> it's really moving. When you, when you look at what's going to cost them on every level, the kingdom, God's righteousness. It's like, what well, we're going to go and we're going to straighten what little bit out we can. See, you, I'm not saying you all must do it, but you've got to find where do I do it and how. You've got to, first of all, become distracted and dominated by a hunger for righteousness, and then write, what does that look like for us? But we are all called to do something. We are all called to action. I don't know where God's going to take us. We're going to follow the Spirit. The plans are looking more and more concrete to start a food bank. Where the church, we just regularly, we bring food along to church, we take it away, we find out from social services, who are the families living under the poverty line? Where are the kids that are going to bed hungry? Where are the kids that are arriving at school hungry? We're going to get it to them. We're going to get it to them unconditionally. Sure, we want to share Christ, but we give them the food regardless. We'll build up relationships. Take Christmas hampers along. Make sure they get a turkey for Christmas. We're, going to, we're looking to, that's the next big one we're going for. 
Okay? Why? Because we are hunger and thirst for righteousness. And increasingly with the political situation and the cuts and all that, it's time for the church to be the church. Amen. Yeah? It's time for the church to say, okay, look. And it's like an amazing moment where Paul and Silas are in prison and, uh, and the jailer comes in and he realizes there's been an earthquake and all the chains have fallen off and he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, do not harm yourself, we're still here. The church needs to say that to its society. Don't harm yourself, we're still here. That's the, that, that's the season that we are in. We've got Rima and wanting to lead the gospel community for vulnerable women, to those who have been trafficked for sex and uh, lives uh, on, on the streets, prostitution. Massive. We need to feel that in our gut. We need to get a hold of that. Say, yeah, God, gather people to that gospel community. We want to see lives redeemed, don't we? We want to see lives redeemed. Maybe God in his mercy will even give us a home or something outside of London where we can actually rescue people out and give them some recovery time before we find a place where they can start afresh. Why not? We've got to feel that in our, in our heart. Jason and the prisons wants to gather guys to reach into the prisons. All this stuff, the elderly, the homosexual community, there's just so much need out there. I know we can't meet it all as well, but as a body, I tell you, and as God adds to us, we can do some incredible things because the Spirit of God is in us and because we're filling the heart of God. All these areas need to be reached with words. We will proclaim the gospel. We will never go quiet on Jesus, ever. And if someone says, well, you can do this, but you must talk about Jesus, we say, sorry, no. Because we've been commissioned to talk about Jesus, and we will, with gentleness and with respect. Always acts of kindness, never just words, acts of kindness, sacrificial ones. Also miraculous power and breakthrough. Amazing answers to prayer. And that's, that's, that's got to be part of it. It's not enough, okay, to just speak. It's like Jesus, so he heals the souls with his words. He feeds the stomachs with his miracles, and then he heals the bodies with his hands, yeah? That, that's what we're going for. That's what we're going for. You might say, but it's not quite there yet. It never will be. But let's keep running forward. Let's just keep running forward. And I'm going to hit it from every angle. Some of you, you're just amazing practically. You're bringing your practical gifts. Others of you, you'll make films. I know Joel and Max will be making films about a particular area, you know, giving young fathers voices. We will make films about things and get them out there. We'll write songs about things and get them out there. We'll plant churches into areas that need the churches. We'll move on to estates and live out the gospel where there's very little gospel witness. God, do, you do it according to our gifts and calling, but we do it. We do something as a body. We move together and make things happen. I remember visiting a church called Frontline Church in Liverpool. It's an incredible church. He told me all that was going on. I said, what did it cost you to build a church like this? He looked at me and he said, everything. But when you see what they're doing, you think, yeah, good deal. Good deal. Good trade-off. Good trade-off. I want to end by saying this. Where do we go from here? Let the Spirit, please, just work in your life. Let the Holy Spirit do what he does. This is what he does in those who are born again. He will burden you. Things will begin to grow that will just become dominating and distracting. Let it flow. Let it flow. Trust that what he starts, he will finish. And what he initiates, he'll provide for. Don't get caught up in all of that. He Let him do what he does. Don't worry about being different. You're supposed to be. Okay, Christian, hand up if you're a Christian. You are supposed to be different. You are not supposed to be like everybody else, okay? Just get over it. 
Just get, get your head around it and then be what you are in Christ. And you will bear much fruit. Don't worry if you become distracted and dominated, okay? Don't worry. It's all right. Understand the growth of the kingdom is usually small. Don't despise small beginnings, small results, small transformation. Keep praying, watching over it. It will grow. God will do it. And then the promise is you'll be filled. Filled with what? Well, filled with the thing you hunger for. You'll be filled with the righteousness. It will just, it will, you'll be amazed and in awe you'll be like, it's actually happening around me. God is using me in this stuff. He's making the world right through my yielded life to the Holy Spirit. That's, that's God's plan for you, folks. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It will always be twin tracks with hunger. You'll always be hungering and being filled, hungering and being filled. Until that day comes where we are told this will happen. One of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. He said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be a day when all hungering and thirsting is finished. All that will be left will be to be satiated in the presence of God, to be fully satisfied, to know the wonder of a life that was poured out for his glory and to see those around the throne that are partly there because of your uh, acts of faith and your labours of love and to know when you look upon him that it was all so, so worthwhile. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. I want to call you not to work something up, because that's not what this sermon's about, but to let the Holy Spirit... For some of you, it will be making money to resource these great acts of righteousness. Go for it. Go for it. For others of you, it will be being raised to high positions of influence and in different places, and people might look on and think, wow, look, you... But you do it like Daniel did, like Joseph did, for the kingdom of God. Go for it. We will all do very different things, but let's do them together for the same purpose. Yeah? Let's run together. I really just I want to, let's let the Spirit of God do what He is doing with us. Because at the end of the day, we know that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that. In him, we can become the righteousness of God. And if we are the righteousness of God, then I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that some amazing things should be happening through us. Praise God, they already are beginning to. But let's press on for more, shall we? And let, what he has started, he will complete. He will. We haven't got to worry and try and make it. He will do it. Let's let him. And that, that, how do you let him? You get in his presence, don't you? And you just... You live closely to him. You pray. You keep your heart right. And he will bring it about. And when he opens the doors, you walk through them. It's not rocket science. I've realised that over the years. I've realised, you know what? You haven't got to be clever. Hallelujah. Because the older I'm getting, the more mental blocks. I'm realising, I just can't do that. I don't get that. And I'm realising, you know, I used to think I was quite clever. And uh, I don't know if it's an, getting older thing. Maybe the brain powers just go. I don't know what it is. But I'm realising, you know what? There's so many things I just don't get. I really don't. But I know that God's promised to me that me bearing fruit is not contingent on my 
brain power. I want to finish with a story, then we're going to take, take bread and wine. When I was a young Christian, there's a guy who got saved about 15 years old with uh, learning difficulties. So, you know, I mean, slow guy. But God just got hold of him in an incredible way. And God would just, it would be in these meetings and he'd just be rolling around on the floor and everyone would be like, you know what? But God was just bringing kind of healing and doing stuff. It was kind of looked a bit weird, but God was just doing things. There was deliverance and healing going on and it looked a bit strange. And everyone thought, is it God or is it just because he's a bit funny? And no one really knew, but he just kind of kept on just walking with God. And then before long, we would find that he's, he was just leading people to Christ and seeing the sick healed. And it was an incredible thing to see this guy who really, really, who would actually speak very slowly and, you know, wouldn't really get the jokes. Everyone else was laughing, you know, and all of that. Um, bearing incredible fruit. And I just say, this isn't, this isn't a plug, you know, for saying, you know, if you're, if you're clever, you're in trouble. Not at all. The point is, it's not about whether you're clever or whether you're slow. It's about whether you're willing to walk with God. And let his spirit keep you soft and do stuff in you. And I want to just plead with you, please do. And please don't be weighed down by the distractions of this life and the worries of this life. And let your heart get just weighed down with all kinds of stuff because it happens so easily. Please allow God to do what he does in you. Don't let the weeds just come up. Desires for other things, deceitfulness of riches, anxieties, because they choke what God's doing. Pull them up. Speak, pray with someone. Make sure they're getting pulled up. So there's beautiful, clear soil for what he's doing in you can grow. You might bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Let's pray. Lord God, here we are. Here we are, Lord. Here we are. I just want to say thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for so much of what you're doing is beneath the surface. It's that those first that season where there's just, for so many of us, there's this seed in the soil and the roots are going down. But there's not a load to see above the surface. But I thank you that that's how the kingdom grows, bit by bit. And Lord, I just want to pray for those here whom I love. Lord, I just thank you for this church. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here and their amazing gifts and just desire to serve you. And we just want to gather ourselves to you, Lord. So here we are, Lord. Here we are. Take us on. Take us forward. Show us, show us our part in it, Lord, I pray. Help us find our part in it, Lord. Help us find each of us. Help us find where we can use our gifts. Help us, Lord, not to be squeezed into something as someone else's thing. Lord, it's the same kingdom, but help us find where we fit, Lord, I pray. And God, I pray, grant us incredible faith and incredible fruit, Lord God. But we want us that we say, oh God, break our hearts for the things that break yours. Help us to not be afraid of becoming distracted and dominated by an appetite to see wrongs put right. Help us, Lord, to carry that burden. Lord, it's a burden, but it's a light one. It's a yoke, but it's an easy one. So help us to just walk with that and trust you for that. And uh, Lord, I just pray, Lord God, let your grace rest on us as a church and let us accomplish incredible, inexplicable things. Incredible, inexplicable things. Help us, Lord, we pray, that you would get all the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.